Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. I believe Paul makes the argument very well that the good news of the gospel isn't really good news unless there's the truth of the resurrection. All of those have to come, or both of those need to be a part. They need to be a part of what's going on. The completed resurrection of Christ and a future resurrection of the believer, the resurrection is what makes the gospel message the gospel message. It's what completes it. Today, Pastor David wants you to see the power of the Christian gospel. This is seen in God's plan and purpose being on display and demonstrated in the lives of those who believed. God has continually transformed our lives within history through salvation and the promise of our resurrection. The resurrection is vital to our faith because Jesus spoke of it and it's a fulfillment of a life lived for God. So we can enjoy our lives as we focus on Christ now, which is the beginning of our eternal life with God. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The Gospel and the Resurrection. I think that there's some people that think that they've come up with the unanswerable question. You know that unanswerable question, right? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, the fact is, is if, if you believe the word of God, that's a pretty easy one to answer because again, in the book of Genesis, it talks about uh, that the chicken was made first. Uh, I think a more important question is, is, is that chicken barbecued or fried? Or is there bacon that comes with that egg? There, there's some more important questions than those things. But again, since, since the creation of the chicken, you've got to realize you can't have more chickens without the eggs, okay? So the chicken and the egg, they need to go together. And that's kind of where we're at tonight. No, no, not chickens and eggs. But the dealing and the teaching, the understanding of the gospel and the truth of the resurrection. In the same way, sort of, the, the gospel message and the hope of the resurrection, they need to be declared simultaneously. They go together. Each one is necessary for the other. And that's where we're at this evening. When you consider the necessity of the fact of the resurrection within the life of the believer, you realize the completion, really, that it is of the gospel message. Without the resurrection, the gospel message isn't complete. I believe the argument could be made that, uh, and, I, and as a matter of fact, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is where we're at this evening, I believe Paul makes the argument very well that the good news of the gospel isn't really good news unless 
there's the truth of the resurrection. All of those have to come, or both of those need to be a part. They need to be a part of what's going on. The completed resurrection of Christ and a future resurrection of the believer, the resurrection is what makes the gospel message the gospel message. It's what completes it. So as we move into this, really, uh, this next section of, of 1 Corinthians, there, there's a wholeness or a, I don't know, call it a wholeness or, or a fullness that we need to consider over the, this whole message as we look at it really part by part. There's, time wouldn't allow us to be able to go through everything that's in chapter 15 tonight. We wouldn't be able to, to really do it justice, not even two or three settings, just simply because of all that's there. In many ways, 1 Corinthians chapter one is one of the paramount passages of the entire scripture. It's one of the three longest chapters in the entire New Testament. It's the anchor for the entire book of 1 Corinthians and the most foundational, most thorough teaching about the resurrection that we have in our entire Bible. Now, since the resurrection, since it's such an important, since it's such a primary doctrine for our faith, my desire in this study, again, is to kind of lay out before you in such a way that, that again, hopefully we're going to be able to in, enjoy its truth. I want us to be able to enjoy the truth of, of what Paul is writing here. I want us to be able to look forward to the promise of what he's saying here, the, the, the promise of the resurrection. I want us to be able to fully understand, again, the, the, the primacy to, to be able to grab hold of the fullness of the power of the resurrection. Because you and I, again, as believers, we need the resurrection, and just as Paul's going to tell us later here, without the resurrection, man, we're, we're just kind of pitiful people. And again, the very power of it, and I don't want to get too far ahead of it, but pretty much following a, a thorough teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit as we've looked at chapters 12 and chapters 13 and chapters 14, Paul gave us a listing of various and assorted gifts that are there. And again, as I shared during that time, I don't think that's a fully inclusive list of all of the gifts. I believe that there's more even than are listed than in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or in Romans chapter 12 or in Ephesians 4. I believe that there's more beyond that. But Paul, during that those chapters of 12, 13, and 14, not only does he talk about the gifts, he talks about the importance of the gifts. He talks about the use of the gifts, the equipping for the body, the edifying of the body. He also talks about the abuses of those gifts and how we see that in so many ways. And he tries to then come and bring correction to the church. Well, now Paul moves into an even weightier subject matter, and really the gospel, uh, the message of the gospel, the importance of that message, and the extreme importance of including the reality and the truth and the power of the resurrection as it relates to the gospel message. You cannot have the fullness of the gospel message without the resurrection. I know I've said that multiple times, and guess what? You're gonna hear it multiple times yet again tonight because I wanna hammer that home to you. The gospel message needs to include the reality, the truth, the promise that this ain't all there is, baby, that there's more yet beside. And it's not just pie in the sky by and by, 
but it's the reality and the truth, man. God has a plan and a purpose, and this life is only but for a moment. The word tells us over and over that we're just a breath, we're just a vapor. We're like a flower out in the field, man. It's here, it blooms, and then it's gone. So what's the use of it all? Because beyond this, Beyond this is eternity that God has prepared for us, and that's what the resurrection is all about. So here we are. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Hopefully you've got your Bibles. You can follow along with us here. Again, in the first couple of verses, he writes, moreover, brethren. Okay, that moreover, well, that's beyond this teaching of the gifts that he gave. Now he's saying, okay, now let's move on. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, and by which you also, also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul is stating here, in essence, the fact that he, he wanted them to get back to the very core of their belief, the very basis of their salvation, the message of the gospel. This is the message that, number one, they had received. Number two, in which they stand. Number three, in which they are saved. And number four, it is the very foundation of their faith. The statement that he gives at the end of verse two, though, for many people is very troubling and and it can be misunderstood. Whereas Paul says at the end of verse two, again, this is by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Well, it's pretty easy to misinterpret, uh, uh, again, for that to mean something that Paul, I don't believe that Paul meant it to mean. It's pretty easy to look at it and think that you could be at one time uh, saved or a believer and then move into a time of non-belief and then thus at that point you'll lose your salvation. Well, I think that the pivotal portion of that phrase, if you hold fast, is the thing that we need to really understand what exactly is he speaking about. And yet, rather than telling the people of Corinth that they're in danger of losing their salvation, if they struggle in their faith, if, they, if they're doubting in their faith, I believe he's telling them their ability to stand strong in the faith is directly tied to their understanding and their belief in the fullness of the message that he delivered. And within the context of this chapter, we realize what he's speaking about here is their belief in the resurrection. When you read this chapter as a whole, you realize there's a lot of doubt there in that church in Corinth about the resurrection. That's why he writes so much here. And so again, he says, man, if you don't have the resurrection, you really don't have a full understanding of the message of salvation. You really don't have a full understanding of the gospel. You've got to hold on to that truth. Don't waver in the truth of the resurrection. And again, there can be no true gospel without also accepting and believing in the resurrection. And that for some reason is so difficult for some to believe that someone who is dead They are dead. They've been dead for years. The body even has decayed. It's gone away. That they can yet still be raised up in a newness of life. Again, Paul is going to argue this point on and on and on here. 
There can be no true gospel without also accepting and believing in the resurrection and because they're intimately tied together without any capability of separation. The resurrection is only available due to the good news of the gospel and the gospel is only complete with the reality of the resurrection. Let me give that to you one more time because I need to nail this home. If we don't get this at the beginning, gang, we don't get any of what chapter 15 is about. The resurrection is only available due to the good news of the gospel and the gospel is only complete with the reality of the resurrection. Belief in the gospel is in vain if you don't also believe in the resurrection. Alan Johnson, the New Testament commentator, states it this way. He says that the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of believers were, uh, were early in the church recognized as absolutely essential matters of Christian belief. In early rules of faith and in both of the great creeds, the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed, these beliefs are affirmed. He rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead, both of those within the Nicene Creed. Within the Apostles' Creed, we have on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, and also we believe in the resurrection of the body. Every major creed of the church, declaration, statement, doctrinal faith, whatever it might you might call it, everyone since then of the, of, of the true New Testament church has affirmed those two doctrines, that Christ died, but that he was also raised again to life. There's got to be a belief in the resurrection, otherwise your belief in the gospel is in vain. There's nothing that awaits you at the end of your days. If you don't have the resurrection, we live our you know, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, poof, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, it's all done. What a desperate situation that is. No wonder that people who don't believe in the gospel and have no idea of, of the resurrection, they, as an old, old commercial used to say, man, they go around looking for all the gusto they can. You know, they, they want to find every, every ounce of, of satisfaction in this life because they have absolutely no hope or no promise that there's ever going to be anything else. So in this life, man, I just got to grab for everything. Rather than understanding, no, our life is in preparation for eternity. And again, rather than focusing on all the things that this life, that this world has to offer, you and I as a believer, because of the resurrection, our lives ought to be focused on the things of Christ. So Paul's gonna continue to touch this on in the following passages, but for right now, he continues to lay out the gospel message. Look at verse three. He says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. In other words, he's not coming up with a new gospel. No, this, this is what he received. This is what he got saved in. That Christ died for our sins, what? According to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, what? According to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, which is Simon Peter, and, and then by the 12. That, that very phrase, according to the scriptures, 
That draws me back to our study last uh, Sunday while we were in Luke, and we uh, spoke about Jesus speaking to his disciples. They were on the way to Jerusalem, and remember how he said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. All things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, and for he will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Jesus says that's all according to the scriptures. That's the, that's the beginning of the message of the gospel, the sacrifice of Christ. But then he adds to it, but he will raise again the third day. And that brings a completion to it. And again, just as the prophets of old, they continually declared about the suffering of the Son of God, the rejection of him by the nation of Israel, along with his final death as as a sacrifice for the sin of man, the life of Jesus was lived out as that perfect sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. And then Paul speaks about the fact that as far as the the first of the disciples, Cephas and Simon Peter, he was the first one to see him face to face. And then later on, he appeared to all of the disciples in the upper room there. And Paul goes on to give further proof of the resurrection of Jesus by pointing out other eyewitness accounts. What does it say there in verse six? He says, after that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all of the apostles. So Paul begins there with, again, the fact that that Cephas, that Simon Peter had seen the Lord there on his own, again, as he then later appeared to the disciples. Remember the story in the Gospels. The disciples hiding away because of fear of the Jews and fear of the Romans. And then suddenly, Jesus appears in the room. And man, all all the doors were were locked. All all the windows were battened down. I mean, they, they had the place tightened up as tight as they could. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears there before him. Can you imagine... Just the, just the appearance of that. Just the, the process of all of that. You as his disciple, you had been with him for three and a half years. Just three days ago, you saw him being arrested, put on trial, and nailed on a cross. Three days ago, you saw him taken off of that cross, put into a tomb because he was dead. Not mostly dead, he was completely dead. They put him in that tomb, and as far as you know, it's all over. It's all over. Everything you had hoped in, everything you had dreamed for, everything you thought was going to happen, it's all over. Because remember, no matter how many times he had shared it with them, as they walked and as they traveled, the disciples did not get it. So there they are, there in the upper room, and suddenly Jesus appears before them. That's got to blow them away. I mean, totally, totally blow them away. As a matter of fact, it changes them so much at that point. So much because, again, now there is truth and proof of 
the resurrection. The truth and the proof of the resurrection changed those men as well as those women's lives. Yes, 50 days later, again, the coming of Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit within their lives to equip and to empower them, but the reality and the truth of the resurrection is what made that all possible. And now Paul, as as, as a good defense attorney before the world court of skepticism, he places over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And again, at the time of his writing, as Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth, this is like 20 years later. And 20 years later, a great portion of those still remained alive. They were still able to testify to the truth. Paul wasn't just throwing something out that no one had any proof of. He said, no, there's, there's about 500 that saw him all. Most of them are still alive, though some have passed away although it would have been well known at this time. Where and and when this audience was, this 500 people, uh, for us right now, it's pretty much just kind of a a speculation. When and where did that 500 happen? One Bible commentator, uh, Albert Barnes, he kind of gives us a hint found in Matthew 28.10 that throws a little bit of light on it. It speaks about that after his resurrection, Jesus said to the women who were at the sepulcher, go and tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. And then a little bit later in Matthew 28, 16, he goes, on, he goes on to say that the 11 then went on up to Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Barnes goes on to say that Jesus had spent most of his public life in Galilee. He had met most of his disciples there. It was proper, therefore, that those disciples who would, of course, hear of his death should have some public confirmation of the fact that he was arisen. It's very probable also that the 11 who went down into Galilee after he arose would apprise the brethren of why they were there and of what he had said to them, that Jesus would meet them on a certain mountain. And it's morally certain that they who had followed him in so great numbers in Galilee would be drawn together by the report that the Lord Jesus, who had been put to death, is about to be seen there again alive. What Barnes is saying is, Jesus had told his disciples, hey, or he had told the women to go tell the disciples, go on up to Galilee, to the mountain there that we had been at before, and I'll meet them there. And so as the disciples go out, I don't know about you, but if, if I've already seen the Lord risen in the upper room, and now I hear he's telling me, man, go, go up to Galilee, to the mountain there. I'm gonna meet you there. I'm gonna beat feet. I'm gonna get up there. I'm gonna be there wherever Jesus says I needed to be. And on my way, I'm gonna be seeing people that I know that have been following, that have been part of the masses, part of the crowds. that are there. Maybe it's part of my family, some of my friends, some of my neighbors who had seen Jesus, who had been ministered to by Jesus when he was up in the Galilean area. And I'd be sharing that truth. Again, the power of the resurrection, the excitement of the resurrection. I've seen the Lord. He is alive. He is alive. Come, we're going to see him up there. He promised to meet us up there. So it says at another place, 500 people all at one time met him. Since Paul lays out this fact that Jesus had personally appeared not only to individuals, but also to groups of people, 
as well as of masses of people at various locations, at various occasions, and at various times. Again, the proof of the resurrection just builds and builds and builds. There's no way possible it could have been mass hallucinations. It couldn't have been simply visions or or dreams of of individuals, as, as some try to claim. Paul writes down these things, and he says, the very proof of the eyewitness testimony would stand against any court of doubt. The best witness that you have in court is somebody that was right there. The book of 1 Corinthians is probably best known for its passage on love in chapter 13. You've probably heard these verses spoken at weddings, but these words on the character of love can also be applied to our relationship with God. God loved us so much that He gave His Son to stand in our place of judgment. Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life and then took every sin of every human being upon Himself, dying so that we didn't have to. That incredible love is available to you right now. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please call us at 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Hey, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We are so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word.